Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob Fretz. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. It is a Thursday, seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and it's the third morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2022. We are packed today. Yesterday, light, a lot of calls. Today, a little heavier, a lot of information. Talking to the newsmakers, talking to the people that matter the most. Starting at 9.35, in about a half an hour, we will talk with Congressman Jim Jordan. A second straight Thursday appearance by Jim Jordan, as our regular Monday uh, gig was uh, interrupted by schedule conflicts. So we've got Jim Jordan. He's going to react to the State of the Union from two nights ago. He's also going to react to a House vote yesterday, one that he voted for along with almost everybody else. Three Republicans, three Republicans did not vote for the House resolution backing and supporting Ukraine yesterday. Now, it's largely ceremonial because it isn't going to require us to do anything, but it basically says we back the people of Ukraine in this fight against Russia. We condemn in the strongest possible terms the invasion of the Russians, etc., etc., Three Republicans voted against it. One of them, Thomas Massey, went ahead and outlined on Twitter in a seven-tweet thread exactly why he voted the way that he did, which I, you know, I, I give credit to. He's got some legitimate points. Is it enough to stave off the criticism that make it look, makes it look like he supports Russia and not Ukraine? I don't know. But I will tell you this, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a compelling argument that he made, 
And I will share that with you coming up in a bit. And I'll also, of course, ask Congressman Jim Jordan about that. So Jim Jordan will join us to talk about Ukraine, talk about the State of the Union, talk about the lip service paid by uh, Joe Biden on uh, uh, Tuesday night's Tuesday night's address uh, to the immigration issue to the border, where he basically said, "Yeah, we're going to try to stop the drugs, not the people. We're going to try to stop the human traffickers, not the people, and we're going to try to hire a whole bunch more judges to expedite their cases so that the people can all stay." Oh, and I, by the way, let's get a pathway to citizenship for the Dreamers, which will eventually be expanded to all of the quote-unquote undocumented. It's a joke. It's a comedy. Eh, would be a comedy. Would be a joke if we could laugh at it. But we can't, so we just have to, uh, we have to um, tell the truth about it. We have to discredit it for what it is. So we'll talk to Jim Jordan about all of those things at 9.35. At 10.10, we'll talk, as we always do, with Dr. Everett Piper, who's always got a different look at things, uh, oftentimes from a moral uh, and theological perspective. So we're going to talk to him about a couple of issues, as we always do on Thursdays. Then at uh, 1035, this is kind of an important one. We're going to talk to uh, Mike Gibbons, who is a Senate candidate who has surged in some polls into a relatively healthy lead in that Senate race. The biggest names still remaining in that race, as you know, are former treasurer and the guy who has been the leader kind of since the race started to become a race, he was one of the early announcers of his candidacy, and then as such, and I think in large part because of name recognition too, Josh Mandel was in the lead for a good, good portion of this race as it started to become a race. But that lead has disappeared in a number of surveys, and Mike Gibbons, businessman Mike Gibbons, has uh, has overtaken the pack, and Mike Gibbons uh, well, I'll get to the rest of it. the names, like I said, Gibbons and Mandel, uh, of course, J.D. Vance, whom we're going to speak with tomorrow, by the way, uh, as well as uh, Jane Timken and Matt Dolan. Those are the players that are still involved. And guess what? Um, Mike Gibbons is is leading. And guess what else? That has led to what happens when, when somebody's leading a very highly, hotly contested race. It has led to a target being pinned on his back. And some of the challengers are taking shots at that target. One of them would be Josh Mandel's campaign. Mandel, by the way, yesterday uh, came on with me and talked at length about his endorsements by Madison Cawthorn and Mark Levin and talked about the State of the Union. Gave a really nice conversa- uh, interview. Rather, It was a really nice conversation. But he's now in a, in a chasing role rather than, than a leading role. And apparently a whole bunch of clergy that back Josh Mandel are doing some work on his behalf. They sent out an email uh, actually, re- let me uh, rephrase. My good friends at Ohio Value Voters, John and Diane Stover, their group, they sent out an email highlighting a letter written by clergy, 22 clergy, um, Ohio clergy, who said that Mike Gibbons may not be suitable as can- as a, a senator from Ohio. They questioned his commitment to pro-life causes, and they questioned his commitment to um, other values, if you will, that uh, are supposed to be important to clergy. To faith. So Mike Gibbons is going to respond to that. He already did. He wrote an op-ed responding to that, um, uh, I don't want to call them allegations, but the characterizations of the clergy members who uh, disparaged him. He responded, and it ran in full in the Ohio Star, the Ohio Star News Service. And I want to give him some time to respond to it today. I called him yesterday. 
said, this is what's going on. I got, and here's the backstory, by the way. Not only did I get the email um, from OVV, Ohio Value Voters, telling me this is what some clergy are saying about uh, Mike Gibbons' electability and suitability, um, I also got the same email forwarded to me by several listeners who are members of Ohio Value Voters. And Ohio Value Voters has endorsed Josh Mandel, so let's be very clear about that. But not every member of Ohio Value Voters was behind that. And I've gotten emails from members of OVV who got the OVV email forward and forwarded it to me and said, Bob, what do you know about this? Um, I was a Gibbons voter, but now I don't know. I'm not sure who I'm going to vote for. I got multiple emails with uh, that statement or a variation thereof. That, to me, is news. That's a big deal. People who were going to vote for the guy who's now in the lead, who are saying, I read this and I read what the clergy say about him, I don't know what to do now. And so what's my answer to that? Let's go to the source. Let's go to Mike uh, uh, Gibbons and let's ask him, tell me what's wrong with this message sent out by the clergy. Tell me where they got it wrong. Tell me if it's accurate. Tell me what the story is. What's your pro-life stance? What's your, uh, what are the other matters of faith that are important to a lot of people when it comes to making their decision in this? So uh, that's what we're doing at 1035. Mike Gibbons will come on, uh, respond to some of that. And again, this uh, was put out yesterday. And it, it shouldn't be seen as coincidental that literally... Two days ago, actually it was yesterday morning, I think I got it. Maybe maybe it went out Wednesday night. I think I woke up to it yesterday morning. That's what it was. But I got the email from 22 Ohio clergy, led by a pastor in, I believe, Toledo named uh, Church, saying these things about Mike uh, Gibbons. And then yesterday it was followed up with 114 Ohio clergy join an endorsement of Josh Mandel. So it's it's the Mandel campaign. Josh has made a very, very uh, transparent effort to campaign differently than anybody else in this race, and that is by way of the pulpit. He is going to churches all over Ohio, and he has been very successful with it. He is making appeal to the faith-based community. He's making his appeal, and it has been very successful. As I said, he has led for quite some time. Um, but... And again, is that why it has led to this clergy backing of him? Perhaps so. But the fact is, it's that clergy and then OVV that sent out the letter about Gibbons that has people questioning Gibbons' faith. So Gibbons deserves a right to respond to that. And that's what I'm going to give him at 1035. So there you go. Jim Jordan, Dr. Everett Piper, and Mike Gibbons. And I've even given you the backstories on all the things that we're going to talk about. Now, what are you and I going to talk about? Well, we'll do that after we do this. Patriots, please rise if you would. If you have a flag nearby or an image of one anywhere you might be, go ahead and face it. Put your hand on your heart, and please join us for this Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a Brandon voter, if you are among those who are okay with $3.69 a gallon gas and rising, if you are okay with lip service that essentially guaranteed more and more flows of illegal aliens crossing our southern border by way of the State of the Union Address Tuesday night, If you are okay with Joe Biden, a.k.a. Brandon, refusing to sanction Russian oil and energy, thereby guaranteeing that we are funding Vladimir Putin's war effort, we're paying him millions upon millions and eventually billions and billions of dollars to 
to ship and export his gas here, his oil here, and to Western Europe. We're funding his effort in his invasion of Ukraine while claiming that we are backing Ukraine. If you support that, well, then you don't have any idea what this pledge is all about anyway. You have no idea what liberty is all about. You have no idea what country is all about. So why don't you just go ahead and take your knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback? For the rest of us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, I want to talk a little bit about this bill that was uh, passed last night in the, um, uh, in the U.S. House. In the House of Representatives, of course, led by the Democrats, but uh, in a bipartisan manner, they passed a resolution in support of Ukraine amid the full-scale Russian invasion. Ukrainian immigrant representative Victoria Sparts from Indiana weighed in on this crisis, gave an impassioned speech, and the House of Representatives overwhelmingly approved that resolution to stand by the people of Ukraine. Again, it's nothing that's binding, really, but it's ceremonial, and, um, and it's a statement that needs to be made, I think, essentially to uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russians, that the United States backs Ukraine uh, with more than just sanctions, but the, the uh, representation of the people here uh, do so as well. And I'll talk more about what that means in a second. But the resolution condemns Putin. Uh, and the unprovoked, renewed, full-scale invasion against Ukraine, and says the United States will, quote, stand steadfastly, staunchly, proudly, and fervently behind the Ukrainian people in their fight against the authoritarian Putin regime. The vote was 426 to 3. And it's probably got you wondering, what? 426 to 3? What three people would not back a a resolution to support Ukraine. Well, all three of them were were Republicans. And that, of course, has the left, particularly the uh, tech-minded social media left, going ballistic and claiming that Republicans, writ large, support Putin. Nothing could be more nonsensible than that, but this is what they're running with. Never mind the fact that every other Republican in the body, including Jim Jordan, who we'll talk to, voted for the resolution. The fact that three Republicans did not is lending more of the, uh, you know, more uh, volume, if you will, higher volume to the voices of those screaming that Republicans support Putin. They've continued to blame Donald Trump for supporting Putin because of his kind of awkward phrasing and slash inflections, slash inflections when he talked about Vladimir Putin being a genius and yeah, he's going to be a peacekeeper there. He was clearly being sarcastic. We talked about that. We kind of uh, needed to listen to it and talk it out ourselves before we really figured it out. But, um, but this is lending more credence to that argument that Republicans back Putin. The three no votes were Republican representatives Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and Paul Gosar of Arizona. So Thomas Massey, Representative Massey, went out of his way to go on Twitter last night to explain his no vote. It's a seven-tweet thread in which he told you what was wrong or tells everyone who wants to listen what was wrong with the resolution. I'm going to share that with you after our time out here because I want to give this uh, a little bit of time to marinate before we talk about it with Jim Jordan and find out who's right 
Is it right to cast that vote when there are some open-ended questions on it? Or um, was it, uh, is it right to say, hey, hold on a second, we've got to close some of those little open-ended loopholes that are in this, uh, this uh, resolution before we can say yay? Is Massey right? Are the three right? Or is it the majority that is right? I'll let you uh, listen to it and think about it for yourself. Coming up as we continue, always right, AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-four. As we continue on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Jim Jordan coming up here in about fifteen minutes. Looking forward to that. I'm going to share with you, as I mentioned, the uh, results of the vote yesterday in the Ohio, or excuse me, in the uh, uh, U.S. House. Um, uh, three only three holdout votes. Only three individuals decided not to vote for the resolution in support of Ukraine. Four hundred twenty-six to three was the vote. One of those three holdouts was Thomas Massey. Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky. And he went to Twitter, as I said, to explain his vote because he knew there would be anger and outrage, and this is what he wrote. Be patient. It's seven tweets long. It's not that bad, but listen. I fully support the right of the people of Ukraine to self-determination. However, there are many reasons I could not vote for the seven-page resolution that passed the House of Representatives today. The resolution contains an open-ended call for additional and immediate, quote, defensive security assistance, end quote. This term is so broad that it could include American boots on the ground, or, as some of my colleagues have already requested, U.S. enforcement of a no-fly zone. Three, it expands the geographic scope of the U.S. commitment to the conflict in Ukraine by condemning the uh, country of Belarus. We should not be seeking to name new enemies or committing to overturning other governments. Number four, it calls for fully isolating Russia economically. This would hurt low-income U.S. citizens who are already reeling from inflation. Innocent people in Russia, many of whom oppose Putin's aggression, would suffer under crippling sanctions, possibly turning them against us. Five, crippling sanctions could also drive Putin to becoming more desperate inciting him to resort to drastic measures such as escalating the weapons employed or the people targeted. Six, the Ukraine, or excuse me, the resolution contains a gratuitous statement that Ukraine and NATO will determine the relationship between the two of them. Of course this is true, but why should Congress assert this now when the goal is to de-escalate the conflict? And seven, it calls for continuing support as long as the Russian Federation continues to violate Ukraine's sovereignty. Depending on the definition of violate, this could be a U.S. commitment to forever be actively engaged in conflict with another nuclear country. That's it. There it is. Um, my, my reaction, and I welcome yours, 216-901-0945, although we're kind of swamped, you probably have to make your call after Jim Jordan to respond to this. But here's my thoughts, and I'll get Jim's too. Uh, Representative Jordan's to be more proper. I can I can agree with a lot of what Thomas Massey said here. If the resolution contains an open-ended call for defensive security assistance, that could mean anything, and that could mean uh, a no-fly zone. It could mean uh, boots on the ground. Either one of those has us firing bullets or bombs or missiles at Russians, and Russians firing them back at us, meaning our troops. 
And that could escalate very, very quickly into something none of us ever would even imagine. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the part about um, essentially, uh, I'm, the, I'm sorry, the, the, not the NATO relationship. I want to clarify my, my, myself here because I've got seven tweets and I want to get the right one here. The part where Massey correctly points out that Putin becoming more desperate could lead to a more aggressive stance that he may take. This kind of follows what I said, what was it, on Tuesday's show, I think, two days ago. I said, I'm trying to figure out which is more dangerous to the rest of the world, a victorious Vladimir Putin or an embarrassed Vladimir Putin. If he goes into Ukraine successfully and we do nothing, does that embolden him to do more and go into more countries? He has already threatened Finland and Sweden because they have had just conversations about joining NATO. They Obviously, Russia does not want these other nations joining NATO. He believes it makes them more open to U.S. influence in Europe, particularly in Eastern Europe, particularly in Ukraine that shares a border with Russia, that other countries that are similar um, that may join NATO, that's what Putin is, is kind of terrified of. I don't know if it's better to let him be successful and then, therefore, perhaps being emboldened into going into other countries that may think about NATO, or if it's better to uh, defeat him and send him back to Russia with his tail between his legs, but then he's a humiliated, strongman dictator who is probably going to do something desperate. So those are all considerations that should have been made, I think Thomas Massey is right about, when they wrote this resolution. We cannot just leave it open-ended when he uh, may become more desperate. And then the last part, the, or second last part, rather, the resolution contains the gratuitous statement that Ukraine and NATO will determine the relationship between the two of them, of course, but why should we escalate this now? Now, on that one, there's a bit of a head-scratcher. We cannot tell Ukraine and other NATO nations, of which we are one, to not engage in these conversations because Russia is going to continue to be mad about it. That, again, emboldens the strongman aggressor into saying, listen, they do what I say. I threaten, I invade, they stop their talks. Is that what you want? Is that the message you want to send? I think there's a great point there. And as far as violating uh, Ukraine's sovereignty... As long as the Russian Federation continues to violate their sovereignty. Thomas Massey is right to say, what does violation mean? Does it mean just invasion? Or does it mean sanctions? Does it mean their own resolutions? What What is it that they would have to do that make us essentially committed in perpetuity? Literally indefinitely. Literally forever. By way of this resolution. So it's very, very interesting. There's a lot of very... Broad statements that were in that resolution that passed overwhelmingly. Were they right? Were they wrong? We'll ask Jim Jordan why he voted the way he did. And more coming up next on Always Right. Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 
All right, 936. Good uh, Thursday to you. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, I want to dive right into it now because i got a lot of ground to cover with our next guest. He is Congressman Jim Jordan, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. He is also our fourth congressional district representative for now. As uh, district lines are redrawn, we'll have to figure out where he's going to be fighting for re-election here coming up in uh, the primary in May and in uh, uh, coming up this November. But Congressman Jordan is here on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. There's, uh, I know there's you a lot bet. of stuff you're involved with. Before we get into the vote yesterday, the resolution to yeah. support the people of Ukraine and some of the other things there, I just want to go back to Tuesday night, because I didn't get a chance to talk to you sure. yesterday, and get your reaction to the State of Ukraine and State of Eastern Europe address that was given for the first 15 minutes of the uh, <laughs> of the Biden uh, press conference, if you will. Well, when the press conference, he doesn't take questions. Uh, anyway, you get the point. And then he finally started talking about the domestic issues that face this country, and largely passed the buck on the things that are bad and used Trump, America first, pro-America uh, talking points for the rest yeah. of it, suddenly trying to convince the American people that he believes in funding the police, not defunding the police. He believes yeah. in border security and more. It was a bizarre hodgepodge, yeah. I thought. What was your takeaway? No, I think that's probably a good word. I hadn't used that word, bizarre. I, I, I said it didn't make a whole lot of sense in, in many places. I mean... Yeah, you know, he said it's time to secure the border. And I'm like, well, for one year, you had the most illegal crossings in history, two million. You got rid of the Remain in Mexico policy. You stopped finishing and building the wall. You, you went back to catch and release. You fly people in the middle of the night. I mean, like, and now, you know, Shazam, suddenly you're going to secure the border. No one believes it. Um, then he, then he like, uh, it was sort of like he was going to wave his magic wand and he told businesses, uh, just cut costs and we'll we'll, we'll fix and play. I'm like, what <laughs> are you talking about? Don't cut wages, yeah, like, cut your costs, he said. Well, th- does he not yeah. realize what a massive part of, of uh, a business's costs are? It's wages? It's personnel? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, yeah. it's people. Those are the costs for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah, and then for so much so much else, it's the cost of energy to move goods around the country, and you've screwed up that policy the whole country understands, and frankly, that's part of why we have this terrible situation, uh, I think a big part of why we have this terrible situation in Ukraine. So it, so much of it just didn't make sense. And uh, I, I said to, 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 to one reporter, I said, you know, there's a reason 63% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track. It's because we are, and the country understands it. And frankly, my guess is after that speech, the number may have went higher um, because it just, it just didn't, it just, as you said, it was bizarre. Yeah, no, I concur. Um, I, I want to go back to the border thing, though, because it's interesting. The way you just characterized it is he said he finally wants to secure the border, and the way that it was characterized by the press is that he said he wanted to secure the border, um, and he got an ovation, kind of a bipartisan ovation for saying that, and I I disagreed. I don't think that's what I heard. Now, I want to play this part of it again for you and, and get your reaction to the way I'm, I'm hearing this. Let's listen to this again. At our border, we've installed new technologies like cutting-edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. We've set up joint patrols in Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. We're putting in place dedicated immigration judges in a significant larger number so families fleeing persecution and violence can have their curses, cases heard faster. And- 
Congressman, I, I didn't hear I want to secure our border. I heard him say we're trying to do what we can technologically to stop more drugs from coming yeah. in, not the people. He said we're going to try to stop the human traffickers, but not the people. And then he said I want more judges to more uh, to, to expedite the cases being heard from people who are seeking asylum. Now, you know doggone well yeah. he isn't looking for judges that are going to say denied and send them back. He's looking for more to say approved and you are free to go into any part of this country you want. I yeah. did not hear him say I want to finally secure the border i think he wants to make it more open it's just that the lip service had to be paid to drugs and traffickers right 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 you 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 may be uh exactly right uh but the but the, the i think the bottom line is even if he even if he if he if he's stressed we want to secure the border in his speech <laughs> no one believes him because that's for for 13 months now they have done just the opposite yeah so this, this so much of what he said uh and and frankly uh, the, the whole uh, the, the whole idea that there were no masks and people were allowed to be there uh, is all driven by politics. It, it was interesting. We, we, we got a, um, a a synopsis of Democrat polling that was leaked and somehow became public, uh, the Democrats polling. And it says the very last line of this two-page um, uh, conclusions to the polling for Democrats, it said this, if Democrats continue to hold a posture that prioritizes COVID precautions over learning how to live in a world where COVID exists, they risk paying dearly for it in November. This was all driven by politics. So that's why he threw in the line yeah. about securing the border. That's why there weren't any mess. It's all driven by politics. But they're, they're really not going to change much because the left won't let them. The left is committed to all their crazy policies. And even if Joe Biden wanted to reverse, the, reverse 180 degrees and start doing the right things on inflation, the right things on crime, the right things on the border, the right things on energy, his party won't let him. Well, there's there's no question about that. Um, the last thing about this, and I don't know if you noticed it or maybe you noticed it in replays on because on, you were there in person but on the screens. Um, when he made those remarks, I told you it got bipartisan support and an ovation. I don't know if you stood up or not, but did you notice Kamala behind him, the border czar, the woman who was tasked with dealing with this? She could not have been more stone-faced. She could not have risen to her feet any more slowly and apprehensively. And, uh, and, and again, I think angrily, and she gave a couple of half-hearted claps that almost basically said, yeah, um, uh, he just embarrassed me on on uh, on a national stage because I was supposed to secure that and I haven't done squat. Yeah. She, I she guarantee you, she was she hoping was, that he wouldn't even talk about it. Yeah, she was because you know she's supposedly what the borders are, uh, right? And and he's he's the president who hasn't been to a border uh, when when two million illegal crossings happened in the last thirteen months. So yeah, it's it. But but we should step back. What what positive thing was there for them to talk about? I mean, we, we've talked about this a number of times on, 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 on your show. Here. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, we went from energy independence to the, the president banging OPEC to increase production. We went from a secure border to the chaos that we've talked about, and it has to be intentional. There's no way it, it's not deliberate what's happening down there. We went from stable prices to 40-year high inflation, and we went from safe, safe streets to record crime. And, of course, we, we went to this the debacle that was the, the, the exit from Afghanistan to the terrible situation now in Ukraine because of weak leadership uh, in, in, in the Oval Office. And and we haven't even talked about uh, you, you know what they've done to our First Amendment. Well, that's... so there was nothing positive to talk about. So they had to try to spin something, and I guess that's what they what what they. Well, and that's why he spent fifteen minutes out of a sixty minute speech talking oh, yeah, about right. the, the the war in in, in yep. Eastern Europe uh, because it's wag the dog. Yep. Look over there, look over there. Not at all the failures here. By the way, super quick on that. Uh, you know what else can they talk about? You mentioned Afghanistan. He didn't. 
He never once mentioned the 13 no, dead. Lauren Boebert shouted out when he talked about flag-draped coffins. Yeah. You filled 13 of them. He didn't issue any kind of a statement whatsoever about, you know, an apology yeah. or condolences or anything for the chaos that led to the death of 13 uh, American U.S. servicemen and women in our, in our withdrawal from Afghanistan. He didn't even bring yeah. it up. And uh, Jen Psaki said day before yesterday, when, or I'm sorry, was yesterday when asked about that, mm-hmm. there just wasn't time. I didn't have time to talk about 13 dead U.S. service members. Well, She's because it's well, a busy speech. We didn't have time for that. Well, as you and I know, uh, one of those 13 individuals is from our, our, our great state in the 4th District of Ohio. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 the, the fact that it, there was no recognition for the sacrifice that these, these brave individuals gave for our country, um, I think that's, that's obviously uh, should, have, should have happened. But... Uh, you know, I, I'm to the point where, uh, and, and, and I, I said this to a couple of folks the other day, I get no satisfaction in pointing out just how terrible it is, but, but it, it's, it's just this administration has been the worst, the worst first year in any administration, certainly in our lifetime, Bob. It, it, but so it's not, it's, I don't like to talk about it, but it's because, it, you know, it's about our country, it's about our president, but it's the truth. And it's it's why I do think, and we we have talked about this a lot. I do think there's a there's a big change of coming um, this November, and let's let's well, hope that's the case. Yeah, I don't enjoy uh, pointing out all of these problems we're having either. But if we don't identify and rec- recognize them, we will yep. be powerless no, to, to fixing them and replacing those yep. responsible. Let's talk about the vote yesterday. Four hundred twenty-six to three. You are obviously one of the four hundred twenty-six. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on Thomas Massey's explanation as to why he was one of three to not support it. He said it was way too open-ended when it comes to, quote, defensive security assistance, which could lead to uh, the president then saying, I have congressional approval to put American boots on the ground or congressional approval to uh, enforce a no-fly zone, which would involve us firing bullets and missiles and, and bombs at Russians and them firing back at us. He also said that... Uh, what this does is it could uh, essentially embolden Vladimir Putin uh, even more uh, because, you know, essentially if um, uh, this resolution passes and the statement from the United States to Vladimir Putin is we stand with the people of Ukraine and Vladimir Putin is threatening Ukraine for wanting to join NATO and he has also threatened Finland and Sweden, it kind of makes you wonder exactly what the goal here is to get Putin to do, to pull to, to pull back with his tail between his legs, making him perhaps more dangerous, or uh, you know, to continue on. So there's a lot of language that I think Thomas Massey yeah. in a seven-tweet thread pointed out that makes it open-ended enough that perhaps we shouldn't vote for this right now. How do you react to that as somebody who did vote for it? Well, no, no, I, I, I simply took it as <laughs> This is a, this is a statement from the United States Congress. Say we 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 support the brave people of Ukraine. We support uh, President Zelensky uh, and, and the courage that he's displaying. And I think, frankly, that courage is contagious. I think you're seeing that in in his leadership. You're seeing it it, it reflected in in what you see from the Ukrainian people in standing up to to a, uh, a country that has invaded them, that is just that's attacked them, that's that's killing innocent people. So um, I think that's all it is. I understand the overall concerns. I mean, look, we 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 know what happened with with uh, with the, the the 19 years in Afghanistan and the debacle that was the exit there that 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 Joe Biden did. So we understand those kind of concerns, um, but I think this was simply a statement of saying we we stand with the people. It's non-binding resolution. We stand with the people of Ukraine, and uh, I think the whole world is 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 has been um, appreciates the leadership and courage they have seen from. Uh, 
from President Zelensky, who's who's staying there and and trying to rally his people um, and and fight off the, uh, the the Russians. Yeah, and and I was struggling to paraphrase Massey because I couldn't find the tweet as I was talking before. But the fifth of the seven tweets uh, that I was referring to said that crippling sanctions could drive Putin to become more desperate, inciting him to resort to more da- drastic measures such as escalating the weapons employed or the people targeted. That's that's the concern I even brought up last week. Yeah. And then, and then the other part is at the very end, his, his seventh point out of seven was that this resolution yesterday called for continuing support, quote, as long as the Russian Federation continues to violate Ukraine's sovereignty. He said, depending on the definition of violate, this could lead to a U.S. commitment to forever be actively engaged in a conflict with another nuclear country. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Any difference? No, look, look, fair points. And that, that's between Thomas Massey and, and, and his constituents. But I also, I also think if you don't if you don't uh, condemn what's going on and you don't you don't uh, um, uh, express our support for President Zelensky for for the U- Ukrainian people, I mean so, so we sort of have to step back because I would argue the reason this happened is because there wasn't any type of strength projected from the Oval Office. I, I, I mean, Bingo. I love the question that the, <laughs> the question that we got from uh, Secretary Pompeo got a question. Um, a week or so ago, and, and he was asked. He said, "You know, people have asked me, would this would this ha- happen if if President Trump were, were were president?" And I thought I thought former Secretary Pompeo answered it exactly right. He says, "The short answer is I don't know." He says, "But I do know this: it didn't happen when President Trump was in the Oval Office, and that says it all." So I, I, I mean, that projecting strength is so important, and and frankly, doing what President Trump did. This is where we got to be careful too. President Trump was doing the right thing when he was going to Europe and said, you know what, guys, you got to ante up more for this, uh, for, for NATO. We're tired of you doing all your Green Deal baloney, getting energy from Russia, and we're paying for all, we're putting in all the resources in, uh, for, for, for NATO. And I think that's a message that we still have to uh, push as the United States with, uh, with Europe, particularly, particularly Germany. President Trump was on the right, and he was getting things done. They were increasing their budgets relative, uh, their defense budgets relative to their overall economy. Um, that's something that needs to continue to happen. That's the direction we need to go. I, I totally agree with that. And by the way, to the point about Trump, uh, Jen Psaki, again, yesterday, it's just hilarious, quite frankly, that the president's mouthpiece, the spokesperson, the press secretary, uh, stated that, quote, Biden was the vice president the last time Russia invaded Ukraine. This is <laughs> I a, know, I heard This it. is a pattern. <laughs> You're right. I mean, come on. It is a pattern. Yeah. He did it when Obama-Biden oh, was in power. He did it when Biden and Harris is in power. He didn't touch it when pr- Trump-Pence yeah. was in power. And I think that yep. says all we need to know. Now, now speaking of speaking of being aggressive and being, uh, you know, doing what what needs to be done here to support the people of Ukraine and, quite frankly, the stability of Europe, I have to ask you this: Why is the president of the United States refusing to sanction and divest from Russian energy? Brian Mast asked that question of uh, the number two in the State Department, Wendy Sherman, and and I want yep. you to listen to her answer and give us your your reaction. Uh, should Europe and the West? divest Western Europe uh, and the Western world divest of Russian energy in your opinion? You know, I think that there is a lot of rethink and there will be about energy security worldwide. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if we continue to buy Russian oil, are we not funding Vladimir Putin's war effort? Yeah, yeah, but, but this, is, this is what I was referring to earlier, Bob. This is, this is where even if, even if uh, Joe Biden and Wendy Sherman wanted to do the right thing and give the right answer there. Um, 
They can't because the, the left the, the left wants to destroy American oil and gas. And, and remember, we've talked about this. Uh, this is a couple months ago. Ro Khanna, in an oversight committee hearing with the executives from the big oil and gas companies in front of that committee, Ro Khanna went down the line and badgered every witness with the same question, will you pledge today to decrease production? And I'm, I'm thinking, like, what is this guy doing? And, I, I, frankly, I asked him in the hearing, I said, what do you want? Do you guys want $8 gas? And the truth is, that's exactly what they want. They want they, they, they want to. They are so committed to their crazy, crazy green agenda. They want to destroy oil and gas. They want to, the freedom that it offers people, the low cost energy that it provides. They want to get rid of that. So yeah, that's why they can't do the right thing here. Is because the left in their party, which controls their party, will not let them. Even if Joe Biden wanted to make a change. That is a terrifying thought to think about who's pulling their puppet strings. Uh, they, they literally are being led around by the wild, radical, uh, you know, Green New Deal uh, power brokers, and they are willing to sacrifice American middle, particularly middle and lower middle class and and yes. poorer Americans. Yes. Uh, their their monthly budgets, their gas budgets, all to advance their clean renewable energy agenda, which is going to cost the American people untold and, and, billions and, and, of dollars. And Bob, this is this is what happened to Europe. Europe went down this road a few years ago, and that's why they're in the ridiculous situation that's they're right. in. And they're like, "We're going to get all green, but we're going to get our gas, and we can we can have our homes heated in the winter. We're going to get our energy from Russia." And Russia just saw the leverage. So the Biden administration, if they continue down this road, they are giving they are allowing Putin to use energy as leverage, and well, that is and, exactly what happened. And not just the Biden administration, but dare I say, every Democrat member of Congress. You're passing resolutions yeah. that say we support the people of Ukraine, but by the way, we support paying Vladimir Putin for energy, and instead of producing it ourselves and thus funding the war effort against Ukraine. Just the insanity yeah. of that is hard to grasp. Congressman Jordan, thank you. I appreciate you as always, and we'll talk you to bet. you again next week. Thanks, right. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer will take our time out here. Come back, see if we can squeeze a call or two in. If you want to make it, do it now. 216-901-0945. We've got Dr. Piper after the top of the hour on Always Right. All right, 956. We have time for a couple of calls here before the top of the hour, and we transition over to Dr. Everett Piper. Let's go to Middleburg Heights and say hello to Dan. Hi, Dan. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. I got a beef with Jim Jordan. Okay. What's, uh, he's a what's nice guy. He's a nice guy and everything. I don't believe for a minute that guy could have read that resolution because with all the, with all the details that you gave the first time, you said, well, we're all for Ukraine. Well, sure, everybody will vote for that. But you give me the details, I wouldn't vote for that thing either. The next question you should ask. Well, hold on, hold on. Just, just to be fair, yeah, just to be fair, it's not. It wasn't one of those typical spending resolutions where it's you know fifteen hundred pages long. It was seven pages. I think uh, I think a Congress member and his staff could probably decipher seven pages and kind of figure out what they're. I'm not sure about these guys anymore, Bob. The way things are going. Okay. I, I, I'm going to disagree on that one. I don't think this was that extensive. Here's the other thing, too, Dan, that I would say, yeah. and I would say yeah. in, in Jordan's defense and those who did vote for it, too, there may have been a few isolated lines in it, as Massey pointed out, that made him you know, uh, uh, too, uh, too, con- too uh, concerned to cast a vote for it. But if you look at it on balance and say the entirety of the seven pages, this is what the core message is, uh, I'm going to support that. They weren't going to scrap the whole thing for a few lines that they didn't like. That's probably what I think. Happen in most but you got a Democratic Party that's going to wrap that around Jim Jordan's neck if they have to. 
How so? Because if, if they want to go and put boots on the ground or start oh. having flyovers. Well, two two words, actually one word hyphenated that, that, that Jordan also uh, informed us about. It's non-binding. Like I said at the top of the show, yeah. it's, it's largely ceremonial, saying we stand with you. It's to tell Vladimir Putin the United States is watching. We passed a resolution saying we're with the people of Ukraine. Don't get uh, little, uh, you know too full of yourself here and do anything even crazier. But it's non-binding, and that's the thing where I think probably 426 votes said yay because this is ceremonial more than you know actual policy that's being established. That's how I see it. Thank you, Dan. Let's go to Bay Village. And uh, Dave, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Hi, uh, Dave. I love your show. Just tuned in yesterday for the first time. I'm new to Ohio, but I wanted to offer an opinion I heard out of our Boston folks, Jeff Cooner. His wife, Grace Wardo, said, uh, I believe, the day before yesterday, that that speech was um, the address to the State of the Union was patent schizophrenia. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. But I also want to ask your opinion about something else, which I heard uh, from Jack Posobiec on Getter. Mm-hmm. He says that Apple has just decided to stop distribution of both products and services in Russia, and that's far from being uh, non-binding. And I'm wondering if behind that there might be a collusion between the Communist Chinese Party, Chinese Communist Party, and Apple to put the the halt on the expansion of a, a rival for Euro-American or Euro-Asian continent power. Um, my, 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 my first reaction, thank you, Dave, for the question and for the phone call, is no. The Chinese Communist Party is working in concert with Russia, not in opposition and in competition uh, with Russia. As a matter of fact, there's a report that came out today uh, not sure if it's confirmed or corroborated by others, but a report came out today that China asked Russia, who knew that Putin was going to invade Ukraine, to hold off the invasion until the Olympics were over. Because China didn't want to have their Olympics ruined by this international you know, conflict, this war, uh, while the Olympics were going on. It was already going to be desperate enough for them, considering uh, the lack of participation and no attendance and so forth because of covid China asked Russia to hold off, and Vladimir Putin agreed. No, the Chinese communists and the Russian communists are on the same side. They're not competitors. They're on the same side, and they're going to unite their forces, I think, at some point uh, to really, really make a run at the West. And you can, you can decide what that run looks like for yourself. 10 o'clock news time. We'll come back. Dr. Everett Piper next. Always right, AM 1420, The Answer.